gold chains and brooches, and wisps of yellow-gray hair escaping from a multitude of pins. It was a fair description, and would in no way have perturbed Clara, had she heard it. At sixty-three, a widow of many years standing, a pensioner under Penhello's roof, and with no apparent interest in anything beyond the stables and her fern garden, Clara was as indifferent to the appearance she presented as she was indifferent to the jealousies and strifes which made Trevelyan so horrible a prison to anyone not blessed with the strongest of nerves and the most blunted of sensibilities. Jimmy, uncritical of her deplorable shoes, did his best by them and laid them aside. He was her nephew, by blood, if not by law, but the relationship was unacknowledged by her, and unclaimed by him. Relations meant nothing to Jimmy, who was rather proud of being a bastard. Clara, accepting his presence at Trevelyan without expostulation or repugnance, treated him as one of the servants, which indeed he was, and, beyond observing to Penhallow that if he took all his bastards under his roof, there would be no end to it, never again referred to his parentage. The young Penhallows, with the robust brutality which still, after twenty years amongst them, made their stepmother wince and blush, did not attempt either to ignore or to conceal Jimmy's relationship to their father. They called him Jimmy the Boston. Excepting Ingram, Penhallow's second son, who was married and lived at the Dar house, and so did not come much into contact with him, they all disliked him, but in varying degrees. Eugene complained that he was insolent. Charmaine knew he was dishonest. Aubrey was fastidiously disgusted by his slovenly appearance. The twins, Bartholomew and Conrad, objected to him on the score of his laziness. And Raymond, the eldest of Penhallow's sons, hated him with an implacability that was nonetheless profound for being unexpressed. Jimmy returned his ill-will blatantly, but in silence. If he dared, he would have left Raymond's boots and gaiters uncleaned, but he did not dare. Penhallow might, in his peculiar fashion, be fond of his base-born son, but Penhallow would only laugh if he heard of his being flogged. Penhallow had flogged and clouted all his legal offspring, not, indeed, into virtuous behaviour, but into some sort of an obedience to his imperious will. And although his great bull-like frame was now rendered more or less quiescent by gout and dropsy, his lusty spirit had undergone no softening change. He had lived hard, intemperately and violently, scornful of gentleness, brutal to weakness. His body had betrayed him, but his heart had learnt neither tolerance nor pity. He certainly showed a liking for Jimmy, but whether he encouraged him from affection or from a malicious desire to enrage his legitimate children, no one, least of all Jimmy himself, knew. There were eight pairs of shoes or boots laid out upon the shelf. Jimmy ran his eyes along the row, noting Eugene's elegant patent leather shoes with their pointed toes and thin soles, the neat brogues belonging to Vivian, his wife, 
Raymond's stout boots and serviceable gaiters, Bart's and Conrad's riding boots, a pair of cracked black shoes belonging to Reuben Lanner, who had lived and worked at Trevelyan for as long as anyone, even Clara, could remember, and called himself Penhallow's butler. Jimmy had no particular liking for Reuben, but he recognised the unique position he held in the house, and did not object to cleaning his shoes for him. But last on the row stood a cheap, jaunty pair of shoes with high heels and short toes, which instantly caught Jimmy's eye and brought a scowl to his dark face. He picked them up and tossed them under the shelf onto the stone floor with a gesture of ineffable contempt. He knew very well that they belonged to Loveday Trewithian, Mrs. Penhallow's personal maid, and he wasn't going to clean that sly cat's shoes for her. Not even.